know, sometimes in our life, we, we know Jesus saved us. We know Jesus chose us, right? We didn't choose him. He chose us. We know, we know that Jesus is, um, he's not just a character. He's not just uh, somebody that we sing about, but he is a living, loving God. And he, is a, he was man, 100% man, 100% flesh, right? 100% spirit, 100% flesh. He was God in the earth, Jesus. And this week as we're preparing for Easter, I was on getting ready to come here tonight. I was watching the news and America plans on spending about $4 billion on Easter this weekend. Praise the Lord on the eggs and the peats and all the stuff. And that's great if you want to do all that. And that's wonderful. And it's another way to commercialize and make money. I'm not mad about it. Let's help our economy. Praise the Lord. But you know it's all about Jesus. And I just want to talk about him tonight. I want to glorify him tonight. I want to magnify him. You know, Jesus, the one who was born of a virgin, right? He was a miracle-working God. Jesus, the one who changed water into wine, one of his first miracles. Jesus, who healed the deaf and gave the blind sight. Jesus, who walked on water and calmed the sea. Jesus, who fed the 5,000. Jesus, the one that stopped the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus, that told the woman at the well everything about herself. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. King of kings and Lord of lords, the one that is wonderful and is counselor, the one that was bruised for our iniquities and healed. He were healed by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus Christ, the one that takes away the sin of the world. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. Jesus, Jesus, the way maker, the peace giver. Jesus, our healer, our redeemer. Jesus, Jesus, the one who is worthy to be praised. Jesus, the one who gave his life for for us, Jesus, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, Jesus, the one who is and will and shall to come, Jesus, King of Kings, Jesus, Lord of Lords, Jesus, the great I am, Jesus, the wonder worker, Jesus, the, oh God, we praise you tonight, Jesus, we magnify you, come on, we worship you, Jesus, 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 there's something about that name, Jesus. Jesus, demons flee in the name of Jesus. Oh, we praise you, Father God. We love you, Lord, that there is no name like your name, God, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, we need you, God. We glorify you, Father. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, Jesus. That's what we call you. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Father. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Oh, we thank God for him. Jesus, just say in his name. You could walk into a crazy situation in your house and just say, Jesus. There's power in his name, Jesus. Wonder-working power in his name, Jesus. Devils are afraid of the name of Jesus. That's why people are offended if you say God, but if you call the name above all names, so people get nervous because Jesus has all power. Jesus is the one who died for us. He died and he rose again in all power. Jesus, Jesus, we're going to celebrate him. The world is going to celebrate him on Sunday, Jesus. 
I love that we live in a country, society, a world that may deny him, but boy, we celebrate him, don't we? Christmas Jesus, Easter Jesus, come on. Jesus, Jesus, I just want to talk about Jesus. Not about ourselves, but about Jesus. Not about what we're going through, but Jesus. Sometimes if you just glorify him, your problems minimize. Can I get a witness? And I want to talk about the life and his sacrifice and all that he did for us. Jesus, Jesus, the name above all names. Jesus, it's not a derogatory word. We don't say it when we're mad. Jesus, we say it because we love him. We honor him. If I say Jesus and something's going on, I'm not mad. I'm really calling on him. Jesus, I need you to do something. So in the book of Matthew 26, we're going to just go through these scriptures and go through these stories. And you can actually stay on the keyboard if you like. That's very nice. Matthew 26, 1, 5, we talk, it talks about Jesus. We all know, of course, Jesus was uh, born of us. He was a gift to us, that Jesus was the way of escape, that Jesus was how we were going to be redeemed back to God. We lost fellowship with God in the garden, remember? In Genesis, we lost fellowship, and we lost fellowship, and immediately God put a plan in place that he was going to bring forth the king through woman, okay, through man, to redeem us, to get us back, to win us back, to right standing with God. That's the whole purpose of him. So time goes on, Bible goes verse after verse after verse, we're finally in the New Testament, in the book of, of Matthew 26, Jesus had already done all the miracles I mentioned, he'd healed the blind, he had set the deaf free, the demons were let go, he walked on water, turned water to mind, all these amazing miracles to prove that he was Lord. And here it is, Jesus, in Matthew 26, 1 through 5, there's a plot to kill him. To kill him. They hated him. Guess who hated him? The church. The Pharisees and the leaders hated Jesus because they thought it was blasphemy. They thought he was lying about who he was. They didn't believe that someone as simplistic and someone as a carpenter's son and somebody with really not a lot of means and not a little grand features and just a regular old guy would be God in the flesh. So here it is, Jesus knew he'd be crucified, and he knew when he would be crucified. If you go to Matthew 26, 1 and 5, it says this, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finally had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days in the, Pas in the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the place of the high place called Sophias, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. But let's go back to 26 and 2. Jesus says, you know that after two days is the Passover, and then the Son of Man will be delivered. Jesus is telling the disciples when they're going to come get him. And then the Bible says, and after that, they got together and decided when they're going to come get him. Now, that might not be a big deal to you, but that gets me really excited inside. Because we serve a God that knows everything. Now, okay, might not be a big deal in your world, but for me and things that I encounter and I go through, it gives me comfort to know that the God that I serve knows everything. That's why we say God is not surprised. We may be surprised by things that happen. We may not see things coming our way, but our God is not surprised. Jesus said what's going to happen before they planned it to happen. That should give you comfort to know we serve a God that knows everything. Tell your neighbor, God is not shocked. That should give you comfort if you're going through something tonight. God is not shocked. 
He knew what was going to happen. He made a way of escape for you, and that should be comfort in that. So let me just prove my first point here. Our God knows everything. If you go to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and this is the New Century Version. Psalm 139 talks about this. It says this, Lord, you have examined me, and you know all about me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You know my thoughts before I think them. You know where I go and where I lie down. You know everything I do. Lord, even before I say a word, you already know it. You are all around me in the front and in the back. You have put your hand on me. Your knowledge is amazing to me. It's more than I can understand. Where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I run from you? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I lay down in the grave, you are there. If I rise with the sun in the east and settle in the west beyond the sea, even there you would guide me. With your right hand, you hold me. I could say the darkness would hide me, let the light around me turn into night, but even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as light as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Why am I using this scripture? To prove that God knows everything. Sometimes in our walk of life, we think that we can hide from God. Isn't that amazing? That we can hide our motive and hide what we did. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking hide in general. So you don't have to be sinning. Sometimes you can just be disconnected from the Lord. You know you don't worship him like you used to. You don't sing to him like you used to. You don't pray to him like you used to. I'm not saying that's a sinning, but it is kind of a drifting away from him. And we think that God does not take notice. I wanted to bring this scripture out to all of us tonight just to remind you that God knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. He knows your holy thoughts. And he knows your not so holy thoughts. Can I get an amen? He knows everything about you. So you might as well start running from him. He sees you. You might as well start hiding. He knows. You might as well go ahead and confess your fault. He already knows your fault. But somehow we think if we keep it contained, he doesn't know. And so there's going to be proof why this scripture is important. But I just want us to know that God knows everything. Tell your neighbor, God knows everything. And here it is, our Jesus in Matthew 26, because he knows everything, he told the disciples what was going to happen before they even planned it to happen, and that's comfort because our God knows everything. And then after that, in Matthew 26, 6 through 13, we go to the part where Jesus is anointed at Bethany. And we all know the story very well. It's Mary, the one with the alabaster box. Anybody know that C.C. Winan song? Uh, come on, no song like it, right? Beautiful song. Talking about Mary that came during dinner in front of a whole bunch of men, she decides to get her alabaster box. And an alabaster box was a very expensive box, and she decides to not just pour the oil, but she broke open the box. The box had value in it by itself, but she broke it open, and she poured oil on Jesus at the table. Can you imagine people sitting at a table just eating, just having a good time, watching the game, and here comes this lady breaking open some oil and just putting on Jesus' head and watching it flow down? You know this oil that she had was worth twenty dollars to $30,000? $20,000 to $30,000 worth of oil, she breaks and put it over Jesus' head. Jesus, Jesus. She, she wanted to go ahead and anoint Jesus. She wanted to bless Jesus. But you know, in the story, it goes on that the disciples were mad. The disciples said, hey, you could have took that oil and fed the poor with it. Let's do something holy with the money, right? You know, it's amazing that John gives the account that Judas is the one that rose up and said, we need to give that oil to the poor. And it says, John 12 and 6, that Judas said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. So Judas was saying, man, you should have gave that to me to give to the poor, praise the Lord. 
He was mad about it. He was upset about it. And you know what? It matters. I'm going to prove to you why it matters. He was mad. I think Judas was even embarrassed that Jesus said, wait a minute, forget the poor. Not like that. You know, come on, Jesus loves the poor. But you know, he's like, forget the poor. What she did was a good thing for me. She anointed me. There's something that she had to, I just told y'all I'm about to die in the chapter before. And typically in tradition, if somebody dies, they get anointed before burial. So this woman was preparing him for burial. But isn't it amazing how quick we forget what really matters? Jesus says I'm about to die and common sense would say, oh, this must be the anointing part, but nobody was there. It was all about our works. We should give to the poor. We should do what we should do. Do you see what happened? The religion. We should do. Jesus said, no, what she did is a good thing. She went ahead and did it. And the reason why Mary had to do this was for three reasons. Number one, she acknowledged publicly that Jesus was king. That gift she gave him was fit for a king. A twenty dollars to $30,000 gift would be fit for a king. Can I get an amen? That was a king's gift. Revelation 19 and 6 tells us that he is king of kings and lord of lords. So she gave Jesus the gift as a king. Number two, she acknowledged him publicly that he was a priest. Anytime a priest was anointed, oil was always involved. And it wasn't the oil that was magic or oil didn't have power. It was signified God doing something in that person's life. The oil signified the anointing flowing. That's what the oil meant. So she publicly acknowledged and anointed him as priest. And the third reason why she had to reveal worship like that with the oil is that she was announcing he was going to die. And Mary understood why he was going to die. She broke open what was valuable to her because of this. Not only did she say why he's going to die, he's dying for my sin, but she understood the significance of his death, her salvation. I say it all the time, how, can you, how much does it cost to be saved? How much would your salvation cost? If Jesus said, I will save you, I'll redeem you, what worth is that? 10 million, 20 million, 100 million? How much could you pay to be saved from death and destruction? To tap into a benefit package that, that guaranteed sickness, to be a part of a covenant that says your children's children shall be blessed. How much does that cost? Mary understood it. She said, I don't have much, but I'm going to give you what I have because I understand what you're doing. So Mary had to anoint Jesus, had to break the oil, and then Jesus says, you know what? Everyone's going to know about your story. You will always be talked about what you did for me, which is why we have that great song by C.C. Winans. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Tell your neighbor the Bible's real. John 12 and 3 says this. It says, then Mary took a pound of costly oil and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. The house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Do you realize that there's a smell that comes with salvation? That there's a smell that comes with knowing Jesus. Something should change in your sensory level. Something should change in your appetite. You should have a different type of palate once you get to know Jesus. That you can smell his goodness and smell his righteousness and smell his peace and smell his joy. There's a fragrance that comes with knowing Jesus. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering in a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. There's a difference in heaven, people of God. 
Jesus can smell the difference. There's an aroma on us because we know him, because we love him, because the same anointing that flowed in that room and filled the room is the same thing that flows on us. Come on, you know what it's like when you go into someone's house and don't smell right. It's not the garbage. Come on, somebody. The spirit's not right. How do you know that? Because we all did that before. But when you come into Jesus Christ, it's an amazing spiritual smell that comes with his goodness. Amen? So there it is, okay? We have Jesus saying before it even happens, it's going to happen. Then we have Mary anointing him and people getting mad and Judas mad because he wanted a cut. Come on, somebody. And then it goes on to Matthew 26, 14 through 16, that Jesus agrees to betray Jesus, that Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Judas decides to see the priests that were plotting against Jesus and ask, how much were they going to pay him if he turned Jesus over? Now listen to my theory, and this is just my theory, praise the Lord. Not even revelation, just a carnal theory, praise God. But remember I said how earlier that Jesus, or Judas was embarrassed because he wanted to cut of that 30000 Maybe he thought, you know what, I'm going to get the money another way. I'm going to go ahead and ask how much they want for his head. 30 pieces of silver, equivalent to $3,900 today. $3,900 if you tell me who Jesus is. And Judas said, yes, I'm going to let you know. Isn't that terrible? You know, and it went, you, 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 you start to think, how in the world would a disciple that walked with Jesus, that saw the miracles, that was with them the whole time, y'all realize Judas was with them the whole time. He was part of the 12. He was part of the crew. He was the one that Jesus picked out. He was at the wedding. He was on the water. He was on the boat that was going to perish, and he spoke peace to the storm. Judas was on the boat. Why would Judas sell out Jesus? For $3,900. It's easy. He betrayed him because of offense. Do you know that betrayal happens when someone's offended? Only someone offended can betray you. Something in a relationship went wrong. Maybe something went south. Something went sour. Something happened between the two people that were in relationship. And once an offense sets in, the person decides to retaliate by betrayal. Yes, they do. To betray a trust is to surrender information about a situation or a person to another person. It means to betray a friendship, to give up personal information to someone else. That's betrayal. In a marriage, betraying means that you break a vow, maybe committing adultery. A vow is broken. You decide to get out of a relationship and go to one that's typically an enemy of the other. That's betrayal. The root cause of betrayal is offense. The Greek word for offense is scandalizo. Did you know that? That's the, that's the, that is the Greek word, skandalizo, is the Greek word. It means to set or to trap or to ensnare, and it's where we get our American word scandal. Offense, betray, creates a scandal. Can I get an amen? Matthew 24 and 10 says this. Jesus said this, Matthew 24, 10. Jesus said, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. So Jesus was warning the disciples then that don't worry, people are going to offend and they're going to hate each other, but don't worry about me. It's okay. You know, Jesus is like, don't, don't, it's going to be all right. But listen, let me just go back to our brother David, right? Remember David in the Old Testament? You know, he dealt with offense a lot. He was, he, well, he could have rather, you know, Saul was trying to kill him and then he had all kinds of issues, our friend David. But Psalm 55 and 12 says this. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it the one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him, 
but it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon the Lord God, and he shall save me. That was David's response to offense. And you know what? I'll be honest. I like his response to offense. He says right here, it's not that you, it's not, what hurts me is not what you did. It's that I knew you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, betrayal hates so much or hurts so much is because I knew you. You were my friend. You knew my secrets. We hung out together. You were my ride and die. I gave you money, never asked for it back. Come on, somebody. And you're going to turn this thing around? And David's like, listen, if it was an enemy, I could handle it. How many of you can relate to that? If it was an enemy, I could handle it. But it's somebody that I loved and somebody that I trusted. And you turned against me. And David says, go to hell alive. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't, don't act like you never thought that about somebody. Come on. Come on. I mean, maybe for a second. Go to hell alive, David says. But then here comes Jesus, the son of David. The son of David says this in Luke 17, 1 through 4. He says to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him though they do come. It would be better for him if a mile of millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea, then he should be offended by one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. David's or Jesus is saying, you got to forgive him. David is saying, go to hell alive. But the son of David is saying, forgive him. Isn't that amazing about our Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, the one who absolutely understood being betrayed and was being betrayed by someone he trusted. Judas kept the money. You don't let people keep the money unless you trust them. Jesus trusted Judas and he was being betrayed. He was being betrayed. And here it is saying, if they, if they offend you seven times in a day, forgive them. Let's be realistic. Nobody's going to offend you seven times in one day. Right? If somebody makes you mad one time in that day, typically we're done with them and we walk away and we don't talk to them again in life, right? Seven times in one day, Jesus says, forgive them. He says, forgive them. Listen, 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23 says, who he, he who committed no sin, Jesus, and no deceit was found in his mouth. He who was reviled did not revile in return. He who suffered did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Talking about our Jesus, our Jesus. Jesus offended but still forgiving. Jesus hurt by the one he trusted, but still forgiving. And then, it, and then it goes on in the story of Matthew. Jesus celebrates Passover with his disciples. Matthew 26, 17 through 25 talks about Jesus going to a dinner party. Now, hear, hear me out, people of God, please. When you don't like somebody, the last thing you want to do is have dinner with them. <laughs> think, think about someone that you, okay, maybe I'll think of someone I don't particularly care for in my life. I don't want to go to dinner. I don't want to go to coffee. I don't want to go to tea. I don't want to go to McDonald's. I don't want to go through a drive-thru. I don't want to eat with you. Because eating with somebody is the most intimate thing you can do with your clothes on. And eating is intimate. If I like you, I'm going to eat with you. And I got to get to know you if I'm eating with you. 
And let's go really crazy. If you're cooking for me, I got to know you. I got to trust you. I got to know you don't have cats. Come on, somebody. It's, it's intimate. It's trust. And then when we're sitting there eating, we're going to have a conversation. You're not going to not talk to each other. Conversation has to happen. And usually dialogue happens. And usually it's good dialogue. There's nothing like having a good time at a dinner table. You're eating. The food tastes good. You're drinking some punch. Praise the Lord. You're having a good time with your friends. And you're, it's just a great time. Why? It's not the food. It's usually the company. And if the food's good, that's a plus, right? But when you don't like someone, you don't go to the dinner party with the one who betrayed you. In fact, you don't go to the party at all. You avoid the barbecue. Come on, somebody. Oh, is Judas going to be there? No, I'm good. Jesus goes to a dinner party celebrating the Passover, which, of course, is talking about the Passover in Egypt when, you know, the blood was over the doorpost and the death angel passed over. They're celebrating that. And they're, and they're having a good time. There's a great party. All 12 are there. They're having a good time. And here it is, Jesus talking just about, you know, things of God and the Mount of Olives and all that good stuff. And Judas probably had the $3,900 in his pocket. Come on, somebody. At the table. Big knot, you know. And Jesus says, hey, uh, can you pass the rolls? Someone to here at the table is going to betray me. And here's the funny part. All 12 of them said, is it me? All of them. Every single one of them said, is it? No, let's think about this. They walk with Jesus. They serve with Jesus. They love Jesus. And they all, when Jesus said someone's going to betray them, all of them questioned themselves. Meaning that it could have been, right? So they say, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? It, it, is it me? And Jesus just eating his you know, matzo ball soup or whatever it was, praise the Lord. <laughs> and Judas looks at Jesus and says, is it me? Could you imagine knowing you got the $3,900 knot in your pocket and you look at Jesus in his face and you almost dare him, is it me? And you know it was you. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us as people? Why do we do weird things like that? Come on, you know we do stuff like that. You know you're wrong. You know you're guilty. And you're like, is it me? To the king of kings and to the lord of lords, is it me? And Jesus looks at Judas and says, you said it. But what I love about that is Jesus didn't accuse him. He's not the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't accuse. He just said, if that's what you say, isn't he good? He didn't accuse Judas. He agreed with Judas in his confession. So then it goes on to Matthew 26, 26 through 28. They're having the Lord's Supper or Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. This is my body broken for you. This is the blood. You know the whole deal, the communion. It's important. Break the bread. This is my body. Drink the wine. This is for you. Talking about the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. That's the new covenant. 
you know, Romans, that, you know, we can, we can confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the new covenant. It's a better covenant with better promises. Jesus is introducing the new covenant, saying that, listen, if you just turn your heart toward me, I'll forgive you and you'll be in right standing. Isn't that beautiful? That they're the first ones to partake in the new covenant. He's explaining it to all 12 of them, even Judas, that, listen, Jesus Christ, I'm the mediator of the new covenant. And my death on the cross is going to establish promises for your life. And we're going to do this in remembrance of me. And it's beautiful. And see, listen, Jeremiah 31 and 31 tells us, back in the Old Testament, it says this, Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And verse 33 says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is a long thousands of years ago, Jeremiah prophesying that a new covenant was going to come into play. That finally, the word of the law, the word of the Lord was going to be written on our hearts and in our minds. That's why when we're born, we have a tendency to know that there's something missing, that we feel like there is a God somewhere, that the scripture makes sense when we hear it because it was already written on our hearts and established because of Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but not to destroy it, right? Matthew 5, 17 tells us that. So here they are doing the covenant thing. Judas is still there. Everybody's there. They're doing it. They sing a song. They go to the Mount of Olives, the Bible says. And then here it is. Jesus is going to, at the, at the Mount of Olives, is going to say, hey, and by the way, Peter, you're going to deny me. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Matthew 26, 31 through 35 says this. Jesus says, all of you are going to be made to stumble because of me on this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I've been raised, I'll go to Galilee. And then Peter says, even if all these men are to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you this night that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Not me. I'm Pete. Come on, Jesus, you know me. I would never turn you away. I would never deny you. I will always be strong for you. They can put me on a cross and nail me to it, and I will tell them I know Jesus is Lord, and he's the true Messiah, and I'm not going anywhere. And the Bible says that all the disciples jumped in, and they started agreeing. Even Judas. Oh. So then they move on to the garden. They're going to pray in the garden. Matthew 26, 36 to 46 says this, that Jesus goes ahead. I'm totally, I'm paraphrasing. If y'all don't know by now, I'm paraphrasing four times. They go to, they go to pray. They go to pray. And Jesus says, you know what? I need to go pray because he's going through in his flesh. And I love this part about Jesus because he's human. He's all God but human. He's going through in his flesh. He says, I need to go pray. He says, I'm going to take Peter, the one that's all hype about not betraying me. And I'm going to take, <laughs> I'm going to take the sons of Zebedee or the sons of Thunder, they were the crazy group. They're the zealots. They were killing everybody. Remember them? Do you guys know their story? That when they were walking with Jesus and, and they went to a town and they didn't receive Jesus, that the sons of Thunder said, Jesus, let's blow everybody up, literally. They were like, let's just kill them. Let's just get the angels and burn up the whole town. And Jesus had to be like, no. We're not going to do it that way. Jesus takes the sons of Zebedee the sons of thunder, and Peter to go pray. They go pray. And Matthew 26 and 38 says this. It says this. Jesus says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus, the strong man, the man that could walk on water, the man that could do miracles, says to them, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Has anybody been so heartbroken that they felt like they were going to die? 
I'm serious. I know there's some women who know exactly what I'm talking about. It, that's a real feeling, that your heart hurts so much that it hurts each beat, it aches, and you don't know if you're going to make it the next day. You could be that sad that you feel like you're going to die. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, felt like he was going to die from being sorrowful. And he asked them, can you guys just watch me? What would you do if Jesus said, can you watch me while I pray? Would you guys watch him? I hope so too, right? Well, the word of the Lord tells us that they fell asleep. Now, if you're connected to somebody emotionally, and they're hurting, and they're crying, and they're grieving, and they're just wounded, it's hard for you to be like, oh, you know, right? Because you're, when, when you're connected emotionally, you're going to kind of be in there with them. In fact, the Word of God says that we're to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's why when you're talking to someone that has a problem, you kind of carry that problem. And you feel it a little bit because you're helping it out. You actually carry the burden. But these guys, Peter, I'll never deny you, and the sons of thunder, let's blow them up. They fell asleep. So Jesus leaves and verse Matthew 26, 29, he went further and fell on his face and said, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And when I read that scripture, I like to have a long pause before the nevertheless, because he was flesh. It could have been an hour before he finally said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came back to check on Peter and the sons of thunder and found them sleeping again. He went back to pray, came back, they were asleep again. It just makes me laugh, kind of. How are you going to be sleeping? The Bible says their eyes were heavy, but my God in heaven, he needed you to watch, but, but he didn't. It just shows our frailty of man, that we can give a promise, we can try to do something, but if, if we're tired, we're tired. Come on. Have you ever fell asleep on a movie and it was a really good movie and you woke up mad because you missed the movie? That's kind of what was happening with Peter and them, okay? And then Jesus says, are you still sleeping and resting? Are you still sleeping and resting? You know what that reminds me of? Psalm 121 and 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. And I thank God that we serve a God that doesn't fall asleep on us. That he does not fall asleep on us. That if we say, Jesus, I need you to watch, I need you to pray, he actually is awake and on time and actually attentive and will not go to sleep. And as a matter of fact, will let you go to sleep while he's still fighting your battle. He doesn't sleep like us. He doesn't slumber like us. And then finally we get to betrayal and arrest in Gethsemane. And while they're praying and falling asleep and praying and watching and falling asleep, Jesus says, my time has come. They're going to come get me. And then here comes Judas skipping out the woods. Yes, he was skipping. Because he told the soldiers earlier, whoever I kiss, that's him. It was Jesus, Peter, the sons of Debedee, and Judas. He skips out the woods, kisses Jesus. Hey! He had to kiss Jesus because the soldiers wouldn't have recognized who he was because Jesus was so common. Isn't that amazing? He didn't have a cap on that said, Jesus. <laughs> he was just a regular old guy wearing regular old clothes. Normal, unassuming. He says, Jesus, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And here's why I want to park right here, people of God. Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Friend, why have you come? Friend, friend, Judas, meet the friend. 
How, how, why would you acknowledge me as friend? Why would you call me friend when you know that I betrayed you? Why would you call me friend when you know that I turned you over for some money? Why would you call me friend when I kissed you to let them know to come get you? You're going to acknowledge me as friend? John 15 and 13 says, greater love has none of this than the laid down life of one of his friends. You know it's talking about Jesus, right? Friend, friend. James 2.23 says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted for him to righteousness, and he was the friend of God. Did you know that Abraham was called friend of God? That Abraham was called friend of God. And do you realize that Jesus, in that moment, calling him friend, put the covenant promise in action? We tap into the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus was calling on what God gave Abraham, titled friend, and saying, because of what's about to happen to me, you get to tap into the covenant promises that Abraham had, and that God called him friend, and because now you are going to belong to me, because I'm about to do a rescue plan on this earth, I'm about to go down and be spit on and whipped and beaten and falsely accused and put on a cross and suffer and die and go to the pit of hell and grab the keys and come back with all power on the third day, because I'm going to do that, you now are just like your father Abraham. You now have access to the covenant promise. You now are going to get the promise that God set in motion thousands of years ago, and now you are called friend. Galatians 3, 26 and 29 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here's the good part, people of God. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or male or female. God said, listen, I'm sick of it being about religion. I'm sick of it about being lineage. I'm going to send my son to the earth where it's going to take away all those issues. And I'm going to call all of us into the hand of Jesus. And we're going to be all hooked up and lined up and be able to tap in into the promises of our father Abraham. If we're Abraham's seed, then we are heirs according to the promise. And he calls us friend. As I was meditating on this scripture, the, the message, I thought, of all the times that I personally felt like I let Jesus down, I never betrayed him, though. I never denied him. Maybe I messed up an assignment. Maybe I cussed somebody out. Maybe I didn't fulfill a promise, whatever, you know, you let him down, and then you know what Satan does? Satan tries to tell you that, oh gosh, if you loved him, you wouldn't have did that, oh, you're not a friend, and Satan begins to put lies in your head, and tries to keep distance from all that we've done, and tries to make us feel like we're not worthy, and that we're not good enough, and that we have to do more, and if we sing more, and, and worship more, and do this more, and maybe, maybe God will accept us, and maybe he'll forgive us, and then maybe he'll be in right standing with us, but that's such a lie of the enemy. Jesus was hurt by his 12 disciples, and still loved, and still ate with them. 
you know, sometimes we mess up and we think that Jesus wouldn't want to sit down with us. And he says, no, no, I want to sit down with you. I want to be intimate with you. I already know what you did anyway. Remember, I know everything. He calls you friend. He calls us friend. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He's not a heavy ruler, but he's a confidant. He's the one. He wants us to share with him our hopes and our dreams and our desires and our fears. His love is unending. He knows all about us and still wants to sit at the table and talk to us. He knows when we're sacrificing things of value for him. He knows when we fall asleep on the job. He knows when we betray him. He knows when we deny him. But yet, he calls you friend. So as we're thinking about Jesus this week and as we worship Jesus this week, I want us to keep that in mind. That Jesus loves us. And there's nothing we can do to make us get away from him loving us. He chases us. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing you can do, nothing your parents did, nothing your mom did, nothing your father, your sister, or your daughter did. Nothing will stop Jesus from loving you and wanting a relationship with you and wanting to build something with you. And he's still saying, I'm a friend. And that person that may not be living for Jesus right now, that maybe went a different way, that left the church, guess what? He calls them friend too. And so we, as a people of God, need to say, listen, we understand our right standing. We understand that we're part of the Abrahamic promise and the covenant and that it is done because of Jesus Christ. And we want us to make, we want to make sure that not just ourselves, but everyone around us knows that no matter what we did, no matter what we are, Jesus calls you friend. So I want to pray for you right now. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I come against condemnation, shame, guilt. Father, there are those here that know you and are strong in their faith, but there are those here that are shaky in their faith. And anytime something happens that doesn't maybe go their way or they feel like they let you down, the enemy's voice raises up and makes them think that they're alienated and that they're not accepted. But Father, I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that everyone here will leave here knowing that Jesus loves us. And if Jesus could forgive Judas and say, friend, surely he can forgive us. I thank you, Lord God, for healing. I thank you, Lord God, for restoration. I thank you, Lord God, that people's hearts are lining up with you like never before. And I praise you, God, that everyone will leave here being like Peter. Although he denied Jesus three times like he prophesied, Peter rose up and strengthened the brethren. Father, don't let us be like Judas, that although he was called friend, he was so sorrowful that he hung himself. Father, let our lives be worth living and whisper us in the night that you call us friend. You may be here right now and not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The best thing to do is to go ahead and give your life to him. Or maybe you're